even in our own lives, you can reap as you receive the Word of God today. So, again, we enter into our series on the mouth, the mind, our thoughts, the heart. Um, It's amazing what God's doing. How many of you are sensing, uh, continuing to relate? How many of you might have, anybody have a testimony about the armor of God? We talked about the armor of God last week. Well, if you have one, come up here quickly uh, and give your testimony. How many, who, who in this room can tell me where you can find the scriptures about the armor of God? Didn't know you'd be having a test. What is it? Ephesians what? Well, I know if you don't know, you haven't been reading about that this week. Ephesians 6. Read the whole chapter. In fact, there's a little shield over there about the armor of God. It's got the scripture on it. It tells you, again, that was a marvelous picture, wasn't it, of Sean being dressed in the armor of God? I won't soon forget it. But again, there is spiritual warfare going on. It isn't just me. It's you. It's you. And again, you are the person with the power to make the decision to do something about it. You have been equipped by the power of God. Totally equipped with the word. You're covered by the blood. You're protected as we march forth and we do battle and we destroy the works of the enemy. So let's hear a testimony about what's going on with this series and the book of Ephesians and the armor. This week, the armor was around, around Barb and I. We went to her home. We found her husband. God said to us, don't lose faith. The armor is around us, and we have the shield. Please don't lose faith. We need the faith, we need the love, and we need our family. And this is what the Lord has been saying all week to me. Um, he has been showing us, showing me a whole armor. Our, the enemy is not going to get to us. Um, he's going to protect us, and we... We need all the faith we can get, and we need all the family. So, yes, this is what he's doing to us. Amen. Amen. Uh, praise the Lord that uh, they had quite an undertaking as we all closed up last week, what she's referring to, if you didn't correspond what she was sharing her testimony with. After um, we finished the cleanup work at the um, food outreach in the second service last week, last Sunday, they went home to find the door locked and no one responding, went in and found Barbara's husband, 57 years old, who had passed away of um, a massive heart attack. So imagine that when you went home after church and all that we did, and Barbara was here and the week before she'd had stents put in and she was over there working and serving right to the end of the cleanup. Uh, Pastor and I were... A little concerned. We didn't want her overdoing it. But I'm telling you, there's spiritual warfare going on, and the warfare that would come against her this week would be why and what are the questions. And when something 
when, whenever there's a death, sometimes it really shakes us to the core. It shakes us to the core. And it brings us right into the questions of why? How did this happen? We, we, we just start to react like that in the midst of the moment of trauma. And so I love what we had in, experienced in here last week. They were able to immediately, you know, press in and start to walk. Remember, their feet are covered with what? They're shod with the gospel of peace. And I love that uh, Jeanette is speaking that. She can speak that about the peace of God that will carry them through because that isn't peaceful. It's a shock to yourself, body, soul, and spirit. I mean, to have to come upon that and, you know, everything, all the details. Um, so they've had quite a week undertaking. Um, we had thought we would have the memorial service this past Saturday, but that hasn't happened yet. So that will be in the future as things uh, come about and the family is contacted and there'll be another time so you can come and support her in that way. So as we prepare and continue, you better not be going out without your armor. You just better not. You get in your car, it's the law. You know, it's a spiritual law. Listen, folks, if if you're caught in New Hampshire or Vermont in your car without a seatbelt on, and a, which is a form of protection for you, you get busted. You get a big fine. And I don't know what it is in heaven, but I'm telling you, this is really a spiritual principle for you. You better have that armor on. You better know how to use the, the sword, which is the word, the sword of the Spirit. And you need to get in there and rehearse that. Again, Ephesians 6, that was a lot of the contact about the battle for the mind. The battleground is for your mind and your thoughts because that's where sin starts, in the temptation. And you start dwelling on something long enough, you'll be doing it. Come on. So let's, let's get in here. Let's shake off any lethargy or complacency that uh, the enemy's been trying to throw at it this morning. And let's really press in with intentional pursuit. Um, I'm really excited. This weekend is about the double-minded man or woman. Uh, we haven't touched on those scriptures yet and what it means. We, we've talked about the mind. What does it mean to be double-minded? What does that mean, the double-minded? What does that mean? Well, um, the term is a word in the Greek that is daisukos. Daisukos. It's a new buzzword you can have. Actually, scholars believe that James himself invented the word. He coined that word. He came up with it because of what he was experiencing and what he was seeing as a leader and how his heart was disturbed by what he was seeing as a leader in the flock of God and what was happening. And he was an apostolic ministry, and he came in to deal with that and bring it to their attention to give them and send them in the direction they should be going versus the direction that some of them were going and experiencing. The enemy is coming to your mind to make you weak and to make you second-guess and to make you double-minded about things. So 
um, that word is double-minded. It actually, well, it's been translated as double-minded, but it actually means sukos is a derivative of the word suke, which is your soul. So your soul is involved with this double-mindedness. Your emotions and your feelings about things. Yeah, you, you're going to feel about this. Because if you're double-minded, you're going to be emotionally torn all the time in your emotions. Come on. You will just be all worried and anxiety doubt, and we already talked about that. You will have torn, you will be torn, torn between this and that. And uh, God, I'm so excited, he wants to come and set us free. Amen? <laughs> He's here to deliver us from this. Uh, and, and, and let us understand, and let us repent of it, and let us really start taking it before God, and saying, oh my gosh, is this really, is this thing that I'm feeling, and this thing I'm acting out, or things that are rehearsing, I'm rehearsing in my mind, or my heart, is this really double-mindedness? Does it just boil down to that? Um, God wants our attention in this season. He is intentionally pursuing us, And he's intentionally pursuing us in our hearts and our thoughts and what we're speaking and what we're thinking. Amen. So, uh, again, we'll be in the book of James, so you can be turning there if you have brought your Bibles or or tablets or whatever it is you're using for the Word. We'll be going to James chapter 1, where he talks about this to us. But um, it's very important that we get the grasp of what this term means. Because he's talking about a doubter, and he's saying that doubters, double-minded, double-minded people, is your doubt is standing out there. It's jumping out and manifesting everywhere. So um, he says that a double-minded man is unstable. And uh, this is what Jesus had when he was talking about, mentioning about people in Matthew uh, chapter six twenty four, he was talking about people that cannot serve two masters. He said, "You can't. You, you'll be unsteady. You'll be unwavering. You'll be unstable. Unstable. You know, when you're double-minded, you'll be restless and you'll be confused. And then um, in your thoughts, in your actions, in everything, your behavior, you will be in conflict with yourself." And your inside spirit man, you're going to be in conflict with yourself. It doesn't feel good when I'm in conflict with myself. I, I'm, I'm, I am unstable, right? Um, if I find myself acting like that, and someone who is double-minded will find great difficulty in leaning confidently on God. You won't have confidence. You'll, you'll be second-guessing. You'll be mistrusting him again. Um, so uh, think of it this way. Um, a double-minded, it's a good analogy. Uh, a drunken person that's getting out of the car and going through a test. Um, he's unstable. I want you to understand what unstable means. It means he can't really put one foot in front of the other. You know, he's stumbling. He's going in this direction or that direction. So double-mindedness, the word says, he's unstable in all his ways, in everything. That means all of it. Uh, They also 
uh, double-minded people do not have the faith that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3, right? Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. He's unstable. He doesn't even hear right. Its equilibrium is off. And um, so he isn't one of those people. Uh, he's Somebody's always trying to come and prop him up or her uh, and try to get their faith operating. So they're... They just don't know how to be certain, and they're always doubting, and uh, they're not sure of things. Amen. So let's get right into that. That's just a little overview of what we're going to be talking about today. So first I want to also talk about, let's, let's talk about double vision. And he'll be looking at things differently. He'll have at least two visions. And I can personally speak to this. How many of you have ever had double vision? Uh, Okay, we've got some people, a few hands have gone up. I had double vision for months. Oh, my gosh, after an eye surgery that I had. It was so intense that when I looked at you, you had eyes here and another set of eyes here. You had two, it was this kind of double vision, not side by side. It was over and above. And, oh, my word, imagine me going down. I still am holding on to rails all the time because I... I had to hang on to rails, and I just developed a habit. Going downstairs, when you're seeing double, which is the real step? Which is the real one? I can't fall. I've got to hold on. I've got to figure this out. Um, It was so difficult. My brain was just, it was painful. I was in conflict all the time because of what I was seeing with double vision. Well, in a very real sense... Um, when you're double-minded, your brain is doing that. You've got double-mindedness going on. And um, he warns us of this, James does. I want to talk, uh, and, and doubting thoughts that we just spoke about, I want to talk about causes of double-mindedness. So with that, I'm going to... Begin to read out of James chapter 1. Uh, James, by the way, I told you this is probably, uh, all the scholars believe that this was the first biblical writing, the first text or epistle that was ever written in our New Testament. Our New Testament isn't put together in chronological order of date. Uh, That's not how it's put together. But James was the half-brother of Jesus. His mother was Mary, and his father was Joseph. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And he was kind of himself a doubter in the beginning. I mean, he grew up. It was his, little, it was his big brother, you know. And they'd heard the stories. I don't know how he grew up. We don't have that text, but we can surmise. He's human, just like we are. What would you be thinking about your elder brother uh, you know, your half-brother and the the little secret stories that everybody's sharing around the candle or the oil lamp at, lamp at night. Wow. Can this be real, you know? So, anyway, James himself struggled, but when he came in, come on, he became an apostolic ministry um, in those days, and he'd been put as head 
over the Jerusalem church, which was basically the mother church for the others. Let me tell you, after Jesus died, um, you know, it was only a few years later that Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And the Christians were in such persecution that they were leaving and they were running and they were going on to various parts of the world. They, were, they went into what is now Turkey in the Ephesus area. A pastor and I actually visited there and saw the remains of the churches and the things that were built there and the false temples, the demonic worship that was going on where many of them were running to. Paul himself went there to speak to the church and the different ones that had gone there to spread the gospel as well as flee the persecution for their lives. So I just wanted to give you a little background about that so that you know that. It's important for us to know. These aren't just little stories and who wrote these things and what the relationship is. You see, we are the family of God. When Jeanette spoke a minute ago, I need the support of the family, let me tell you, they understood they were part of the organic family, the church family. It's organic. It's real. It's alive. So when, you're, when you don't come and you're part of this organic family right here in Praise Chapel, and some of you are missing, we might be missing fingers, toes, mouths, nose, ears, arms, hands, legs. We need every single member, every single person that represents that special part in the great organic whole of the body of Christ that he supernaturally has here. He is the head of that body. But that is important for us to always have before us, especially as we get further into the text here today, and understand what James was talking about. In James 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. When Jesus came, <clears throat> there were only two tribes left. The, Isra- the tribes of Israel itself, there were two nations, Judah and Israel. There were two tribes in Judah, uh, predominantly Judah, Judites, and Benjamin. The other tribes lived in the, the other ten tribes of Israel lived in the northern part, which was called Israel. That was the name of that part. So years before Jesus came, hundreds of years, those tribes had been taken away in captivity. They had been dispersed. They called them the lost sheep of Israel. They call them the lost tribes of Israel. And so I find it very interesting that James spoke in his very first verse to the church. He's saying, I'm speaking to the ten tribes, uh, the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Now, those people may have lost their, you know, it had been hundreds of years in their captivity. They might not have remembered I'm sure there was a remnant. God has always kept a remnant of his people to remind and pass on the stories of where they came from and what their background were. But that's what Jesus said. He said he came to find the lost sheep of Israel. And so James is talking about the 12 tribes. 
I thought that was interesting. The other ten had been gone. But the ones that were there, and for whatever person he spoke to that, um, God himself knows, and we have it in writing for our own edification and exhortation, but he's talking also about the Christians that had converted from Judaism to from the law to the law of grace, to the new covenant. They were the new Christians. It, uh, the apostles themselves, they were going, and they were now on the run because persecution was coming, and many of them were leaving Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to find places of safety. And God allowed them to be dispersed. God allowed the testing of persecution. Now, we could sit here just like we're wondering in our doubts and go, well, why is God letting this happen? Jesus was just raised, and why isn't the church growing? And why would he let this happen to us? Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Well, that's what we do. But the testing has purpose in it. When a testing comes, some of the tests you're in are part of your own doing. You know, some some of them are related to your choices that you already made, and they're the repercussions of them. And then it's a testing on what you're going to do next to get back on course. You understand that? So that's some of the testing. But part of these testings and trials, God allowed them to be dispersed so that the gospel would spread throughout the land. So it would spread. So there would be churches everywhere in Asia, in Turkey, in all of the land, in all the in Italy, what is now Italy and Germania at the time, which is Germany now, they fled and they went into these places so that the gospel would spread. So that's who he's talking to. But how do we relate to that today? How do we relate to that today, the dispersed? It's important to understand the condition of their hearts. Some of them might have been running in fear, right? They might have had issues that made them make those choices. Some might have been sent. We don't really know. But there is a habit of some in today's Christianity, Christian believers, that have decided through some thought process that they could have church by themselves, okay, without being a part of the local church, right? We know that the scripture says, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Do not forsake that. You need to be part of a local body of Christ. You need to be part of the church. Because why? Because there's apostles and there's prophets. When Jesus was lifted up and arose, it says Christ gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He gave those gifts to the church as leaders to help uh, keep us together and direct us and keep us on the right course. And we need one another, just as I said earlier. This is an organic body. And you will suffer if I cut off my right hand and pitch it down here and go on about my business for the rest of the week. What's going to happen to my right hand? Do you understand? So if you're a hand and you've separated yourself you need to be part of a local assembly uh, and God setting you in it, as it, planting you in it as it pleases him, as it makes him happy. 
So these are things. We could be dispersed in that way. So it could be persecution, et cetera, et cetera. So we've just read that, and I want to read now. Verse 2. So now he's, he's talking about double-mindedness and the things and the attitudes that we can have that can cause this. And in verse 2 he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Don't we just love that one? Don't we just love that scripture when it's staring us in the face? Oh, yeah. But, but he's telling us to because he has another perspective of them. And he's saying, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's when you learn and you build muscle. You, may, you build body muscle. You, you got some big biceps here. You know, you're flexing that because the testing of your faith builds endurance. It builds strength. It builds character. It helps you in, if there's another tragedy coming along, it's almost like a vaccination if the little trials that come along. But you hit a big one, and then you may be shaken. You might be, the enemy might be trying to throw you down, but you can get up if you get down. You can get up, or you've got somebody by you who's going to help you get up. And we're going to do this faith journey and please God in it. I'm so excited. And verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's relating all of this about the trial you might be going through right now. You might be really special and have two trials going on at the same time. And you might like really be special and have a half a dozen all going on at the same time. Yet if James were here today, and he is in spirit, he would say, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Because there's a plan and there's a purpose to this. You see, they might have been running for their life and they had no idea how they would spread the gospel into all the world. Amen? Many of them died for it, but they carried it. They couldn't have been martyrs without faith. They couldn't have done that. Amen? Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, my family. And in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you're confused, (laughs) if if you're not having joy, if you don't, So you're like, why is this happening? It sounds like you need wisdom. You've got to find out why. God will speak to you. He will answer your prayer. You go to him and you keep asking. If it's silent, you just keep asking because eventually he will speak. He might be speaking and you're just not hearing it. So you keep going and you ask God. He won't hold that back from you. 
it, I just read to you that he gives wisdom to all men, and he will give it to you abundantly. He doesn't want you ignorant of the enemy's devices. He doesn't want you totally ignorant of his plan. You see, James could say and give us these intense commands. These aren't suggestions. These are commands from the apostle of the head church at the time. And he says, I'm telling you, count it all joy. And if you don't have wisdom or you don't understand, go to God and ask him. And then in the next verse he says, but let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. I already talked earlier, if you've got a double mind, you see, he already recognized what was going on. They were doubting about their trial, about the situation. They didn't understand what was going on. This, bring it into your day. You might be doubting about the situations that you're in. You might not be understanding it, but you go in... Don't start getting a double vision going one way or another. You come in, and when you pray and you ask God for direction and you ask God for wisdom, you come in and you know that God is going to hear your prayer and he will answer you. Can I get an amen? He will answer you. He'll answer it audibly, verbally, through the word of God, through a brother or sister, through something that comes in your path. You will find an answer from God. You not, might not find it that many, but later you will get your answer and you will have understanding. You will have understanding. Pray for that too. He said, but let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That is back and forth. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything for the Lord. If you can't come to him in faith, believing and casting out those doubts, getting rid of all double-minded men, any thought process that doesn't line up with the word of God, that doesn't line up with what God's promises speak of and what is our inheritance, we have to take those thoughts captive. We have to cap them down. Send them to the footstool of Jesus. For let not that man expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You can't be double-minded. The only thing that will be an anchor of your soul is love in his word. You have to know that he loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He would leave the 99 behind to just come and find you if you wandered away. He would run after you. He, his, his love is reckless for you to come into the fold. And when he gets you in here, he wants to talk to you about the things we've talked about. He wants to set you free from your double-mindedness. But these are things you have to do because only you have the power. I don't have the power over your mind. I don't have the power over your thoughts. 
I'm not a mind reader most of the time. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> are you hearing? Most of us are mind readers. We go, you know, if I'm into it with Lonnie, I'm like, I know what you're thinking. Okay? Y'all know. That's why, we're, that's why we're laughing here today. We practice mind reading rather than getting a word from God. Don't just assume that you think you're reading God's mind. Get a hold of him and find out what he's saying. And if you don't know where to go, start with the Bible. Get the word of God out and start reading it. Start reading it. If you are in Hebrews and you're hearing about faith heroes in chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, then go to those stories in the Old Testament. Let me tell you, there were some young boys that were thrown in a fiery furnace. It was so hot that the, people sto- the soldiers stoking the fire died. That's how much heat they were thrown into this. And those boys came out of it because there was another person in the fire. And guess who it was? It was Jesus. He was in the fire with them. He was in the fire with them. And when they came out, and it said they didn't even sm- smell of smoke. And it turned a whole nation. It turned a whole nation. Talk about a trial. Why is this happening? I don't know why I'm doing that. We've been good. We've been sad. I don't know why. I did everything right. I'm trying to do good here. I'm trying to do it all right. I've been good. I've been better than I was last year. I don't know why this is happening to me. We're laughing because we get on those rolls. But we've got to take those thoughts captive. We must take them captive. That's double-mindedness. These are double-mindedness whines. No whining. No wine and cheese at my house, okay? All right. So we've talked about our text, and I've probably preached way beyond my notes here. But... I want to say that a double-minded man, those doubts that we get in our mind, they compete with the correct view of God. They compete for your thoughts. They compete for your vision and what you believe. If you don't have a correct view, and I'm not talking double vision or double-mindedness. With double-mindedness, you'll have double vision. So we're getting rid of that. We're correcting our vision. But these thoughts will not allow us to have a correct view of God. We'll be seeing double. We'll be unstable in all our ways. Why is this working for Susie and this She's told me all about how I'm supposed to have faith, but I I don't see it working for me. We can't have that. We've got a that's a lie. See, that's a lying thought. That's a lying thought. That's a that's a lie. That's a spiritual warfare thought that's being thrown at your mind. And remember, we talked earlier in the series. Those kind of thoughts cause actual brain damage in your physical brain. Negative thoughts. And then it tears up your gut. Come on. And your heart. 
and you weren't strong. We can grieve. There's no law against grief. Jesus wept when Lazarus, when he came up there. He wept before, even with the full knowledge that he was going to raise him from the dead. But he was compassionate with those that were weeping and the love that they had and how much they were going to grieve the loss of such a friend, a brother, a family member. Do you see? He was overcome. He was overwhelmed with emotion. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Don't don't take away that uh, it's just you can't whine without faith. Do you hear me? You can cry in faith, <laughs> but not in the other. Not from the origins of double-mindedness. I want to um, I want to talk about. Let's add verse fourteen here in chapter one of James. Um, he goes on to talk about temptations and uh, blessed. In verse twelve, he says, "Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial." Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. You are blessed if you're persevering. For once he has been approved, who does the approval? He's the one we get approval from. Once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I know you love him. The enemy knows you love him, and, he, and that's why he's after you to get you double-minded, so you're two-sided, so you're wishy-washy. If I'm double-minded and I go to pray about anything, if, I go to, if I'm double-minded and I go to pray about somebody who's sick and desperately ill, how about when we prayed for Norm's toe last week? The doctor said it would take six months for him to recover. It was an infection that has gone to the bone. It's laid open. And I got, here's a testimony on spiritual warfare and us actively pursuing. I got a um, message from his wife, Patricia, Monday morning, and it was in, like, capital letters. I was shocked. I was shocked, were her first words. When I went to take the dressing bandages off his foot Monday morning, it is halfway better. It is completely like halfway better. It's like halfway healed now. Come on. I mean, I'm telling you, when they told me six months, I said, there's no way I'm standing for it. This man has made a covenant with God in his past. When he healed him of something, he told God if he healed him, he would dance for him the rest of his life. He's in his 70s. And there's no way that the devil is going to keep that man from dancing. That's how I feel about it. Not for six months. Come on, when we get in our 70s, uh, we don't know how much time we've got left. We better be taking advantage of every single minute. I just said, no, I'm sorry. I, I cast down that report. I'm going to say that Jesus Christ, divine healing is his. He can do miracles. I've seen it happen before my very eyes, and I am praying for this with a full heart of faith. I wasn't going into that, well, gee, I better be careful how strongly I say this because what if he doesn't get healed? Oh, 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 oh. Come on, 
oh, yeah, the enemy's telling me, yeah, remember that time you really prayed for this one and they didn't get healed? That was a really bummer, wasn't it? You felt pretty embarrassed about that, didn't you? No, I wasn't listening to that. I took those thoughts captive. I took every thought captive and I cast it down and anything that tried to exalt itself over what the Word of God says. Come on. You know, and then there's people and there's, there's sicknesses. I want it to be every time we pray for someone that they are healed, like when Jesus prayed for them. There was no cure for leprosy in Jesus' day. That was it. You were going to rot to death. That's what, basically. But he healed the lepers, didn't he? He healed the blind men. He raised the dead. I must prevail and walk in endurance and faith and single vision and single-mindedness when I am moving through the land, if I expect to release revival and truth in this hour that is going to shatter the darkness and destroy every lie and set the captives free of deliverance, I must have it. It's not just so my life will go better. It's not just so that Lonnie's life or maybe my kid's life will be better. It's that the body of Christ and God's church must arise in this hour in power, and that's why he is talking to us about this right now. That's why he's serious about it. James, James' book is a strong word. Read the entire, all the chapters. You ought to be in them. You go, man, you come in here wild and crazy when we get into worship. You come in here, and we'll have revival in the land. The Lord showed me something during worship this morning or at some point in time he showed me a bicycle and I saw somebody rolling a bicycle down the aisle and when they got up here they put the kickstand on it and I noticed I was looking at this bicycle and one of the tires was flat and so I continued to watch in the vision and then as worship continued the, the tires started pumping up. It started getting full. That's a nice thought. I like that. I feel that sometimes. But then the Lord, I said, well, that's, that's nice. And then the Lord corrected me. And he said, it's not nice when this is a reoccurrence every week for the people of God that come to church. They get pumped up. Come on. Everybody come in with your half-filled, one-flat tire? That's what he told me. He said, I want them to come in here and be the others if there's, some, if there's a newcomer, if there's somebody that doesn't know God, and they come in here and they pump their tires up. I want, I don't, that isn't what they're, they're supposed to be coming with a full tire, that you have pumped yourself up before you ever get here that you've got something to give when you get here. Something to give. I'm not just talking at the offering. Come on. It says we are a living sacrifice. We come to the, we're part of the altar, and we come to share. Because he said, he showed me then what a drag it is on the whole organic body. 
that we have to push, we have to pump. Wow, there was only two flats last week, but this week we got about 28, you know? This doesn't feel good. And we can do that. We, that, that is double-mindedness. That is not even God's vision that we come in here to get pumped up. Yes, we come in here to receive, but we come in here with the full, the full vision, the full revelation that we are here to give and to give to one another. I love that we got another uh, poem written this morning by the Spirit of God through, through our sister receiving that word last week. And so continue to pray for these anointings. I'm sure she had stuff going on in her life this weekend. Believe me, he doesn't want us writing. There were plenty of obstacles she prevailed over this week. I'll tell you that right now. He didn't just drop on her with, oh, here's about three days to figure this one out, Pammy, and I'll just be with you. No, the devil from hell like, don't let her write that. That's going to encourage someone. You know, she had to fight for that. She had to fight for the right. She had to overcome. I know what happens, and so do you. We have to fight the good fight of faith. Amen. All right. Uh, I want to go down to verse 14. But, um, uh, but when each one is, he's talking about being tempted. He said, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. He's talking about our thoughts, guys. Our temptations. Tests are, tests are not a temptation. Do you understand? A test is so when you're done walking through it, you know where you're at and where your weaknesses and your strengths lie. And you can do better when the next one comes along. I always, when I know I'm in the middle of a test, I'm like, I want to get it right now because I don't want to retake this test again. Sometimes I've had to take take some tests, had retakes several times before I understood that this was a working of God. Listen, Double-mindedness, too, is that we decide we want to dictate how our life progresses and how we grow versus God's providence and sovereignty in our lives. When he allows things, when things begin to happen. Do you understand? Some of us resist that. And we want to go through life with just an easy, you know, easy life. Um, why me? You know, you've got to get rid of that. Why you? Because he's forming and shaping a hero of the faith that he can put into chapter 11 in Hebrews in the volumes that are being written in heaven. That's why. That's why. Renewing our minds. Amen? So, uh, Oh, and in verse 16, I can't leave that one out. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, he says. He threw in some love there. So it wasn't too much for you because it's serious business. Double-mindedness is serious business today. Serious business. And he says, so don't be deceived. 
Don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourselves. So we're now to what can we do? Let's, let's go through it. One, two, three. Thankfully, his letter is full of cures for double-mindedness. So be sure and read the book this week and read it over the next few weeks because this is not going to be over next week. This word is ongoing right now. How many of you are actually being changed by the word? Yeah. I had somebody come up and say he had a testimony last week. If we have time, I want him to come and share it today. You know, about what God's doing with this word. I'm telling you, it is a challenge. And I'm just like, praise the Lord. Boy, this one is even a harder question than 2,742 in the last week. Uh, This was now I'm on this one. It's a bigger one. Lord, help me on this. And, um, but... It's full of cures for double-mindedness. Yay! What can we do? Thankfully, number one, first, be sure you're a true believer. Be sure you're a true believer, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, James said that. He was a bondservant of God. That was the first verse. I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he speaks it out to the true believers. How do you know you're a true believer? Well, just ask the first. Are you know, do you know in your heart that you've received Jesus Christ into your heart and that when you die, you're going to heaven? You got any questions about that? If you've got questions about that, you need to go back to him and talk to him about it and get that in there until you go, I'm, I'm blood-bought. I am a child of God. I have been adopted. He is my father. Jesus is my elder brother and Lord and Savior. He has saved me. First, are you a true believer? Are you just messing around? Remember, verse 16. Do not deceive yourself, brethren. Do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourself. Number two, correct any dispersion or separation, that feeling of I'm out, that disconnectedness from the body of Christ, from the church. Adopt God's plan for caring for you and all his children, his church, which has given the spiritual gifts I told you earlier about, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. This is his life-sustaining sacrament. So we just took communion today together as a family. And what about his own very own presence in our worship? The presence of God that comes in a corporate presence. Yes, you can feel that by yourself, Yes, sometimes it might be strong, but there's something else when we come together in this organic uh, manifestation of the church. Make sure that your view of the church, that it's vital to God's plan, and, his, and, and, his, and, and your, it's vital to your spiritual uh, welfare and your service. Third, confess your double-mindedness. <laughs> Let's just confess it. Because 
Confess your double-mindedness about God's plan of sanctification. There's sanctification that continues to come. Make sure that you're not doubly-minded and, and upset about how he utilizes trials in order to build up our faith. That's what James is talking about. Make sure that your double mind isn't seeing evil, just only evil in the trial, and that God's somewhere out there. Maybe he can see it, maybe he can't. No. Get rid of that. I'm in a trial. I'm in a test. He's here with me. Make sure that your mind is spiritually focused and that you see God is in control and he's working for your good. That is the purpose of it. It is for your good. The word says, Romans 8, 28, everybody, if you know it, say it with me, all things work together for good to, for them Oh, listen to all of you. Um, all things work together for good. For them who love God and are called according to his plan and his purposes. Amen? So just know that, that everything, all things, there's nothing outside of that scripture and promise. See, if you're reading your word, you'll have landed on that thing. You know, you want to get a tattoo, get that one on. Get a, if you want a temporary one, write it on your arm in some permanent ink. If you've got to remind yourself, get the Word. Get a hold of the Word of God. Get a hold of the promises of God. There's no other way. You've got to put those in. Those are the thoughts. Those are the, those are the words of God that will drive out all this double-mindedness. Come on. Come on. Don't make me have to come over there. <laughs> Don't make Mama have to come over there. You know, um, so make sure you know he's in good. David said, here was the scripture, the, uh, David, you know, the psalmist, he said, quote, in Psalm 119, 71, he said, it is good for me that I was afflicted. I have been afflicted and sometimes I understood it was so good because I couldn't have learned what I learned any other way. Even though I ask him, if you can do this, like Jesus, it's okay. If this cup can pass from me, okay. If not, I'll drink it, okay? Fourth, number four. You know, number three is keep your mind on God's plan. Number four. Be single-minded about God's generosity towards you. He is generous with you, and his, he is generous with his love. Oh, and use James you know, 5 through 8 to help you repent of doubting God's goodness and his generosity for you. Focus on verse 12, the crown of life. Come on. Relish, relish those verses. The crown of life which he has promised to those who love him. Love him. You'll have a gorgeous crown. And I want to read verse 17. This, this is underlined, I mean, I, I just love this. Every good thing bestowed 
And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. No double vision. Everything good. Everything good. He wants us to be the first fruits of his creation. He wants you to receive first fruits. He wants you to bear first fruits. Amen. And number five, finally, we're coming to the end, is try to see the bigger picture. See it. Amen. See all of James' exhortations and his commands and his wisdom in the light of the one called the Lord, Jesus Christ. See it in Jesus' light. Because I want you to look at Jesus' life. I want you to understand that he understands. Jesus was willing, and he was joyfully willing to face the trials his father sent. He came from heaven, and he came to earth, and he fulfilled James' exhortation in verse 2. He counted it all joy to come. He persevered, and he grew through his trials. That's verses 3 and 4. He fulfilled it. Jesus met, and he defeated the tempter with the word of God. Much prayer. He executed his faith without doubting in verse 5, and he kept his mind singularly focused on pleasing the Father. The reason we have so much warfare here today is God doesn't want God doesn't want this us to get it. Jesus received the crown of life in verse twelve because his complete faith and obedience was enacted in every situation. God highly exalted him. He raised him from the dead. He was received in glory back to heaven as king of kings and lord of lords. And now he rules over all things for us and the church. He is the ruler. He is the head. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. That means that Jesus is in charge of saving us. Jesus is in charge of sanctifying us through trials. Jesus is in charge of employing us into his service. He's our our employer. (laughs) And he is in charge of delivering us and making us perfect and complete without spot or wrinkle. His bride, a shining star, whom he will join himself to at the great great wedding feast of the Lamb that will be here sooner than we think. I exhort you to fight the good fight of faith. And any time you find yourself doubting, run back 
to James, the book of James. You don't even have to remember the scripture verses. Just remember James. Get there. It's the first chapter. And start reading. And remember what God spoke to us today. Let us not be double-minded. And Father, we repent. Let's just stand now as we as we get ready to end today. Um, and we can repent together. And you can continue to repent all you want because I know I'm doing a lot of repenting lately. Um, every other second. So, Abba, Father, we do come before you today. We come as that corporate body that you call your church, Lord. And you said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. And Father, we identify. That is our identity. We are your sons. We are your daughters. We are the family of God. And Father, we come and we repent, which means we have a plan to change how we've been thinking. And we are thankful that you have revealed areas of weakness in our minds and our thought processes. And we are grateful for the even the current trials that you, we currently find ourselves in, Lord. That you are refining our faith and that we will no longer remain unstable, tossed to and fro with every, every wind and every wave, God. But that we will remain steadfast and single-minded with single vision upon you and your great plan and your purposes for our individual lives. But not only that, for this body right here that we are part of, God. And we stand ready to be ready. And we thank you for interrupting our lives and our days. Lord, we invite you in to interrupt, if necessary, to get our attention. Lord, we're praying. We're praying prayers that might, some might call risky. Because we want nothing more than all of you. Please remo- renew our minds. Renew our minds. Let us be washed by the word of God. And Father, we thank you. And let us be encouraging. And let us encourage, let us be kind to one another in this process, Lord. And let us be kind and find kind words and encourage one, one another as we walk through life, this journey, this faith walk, every day. Father, seal this to us. Seal this to us, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us as we walk as we walk and we make this journey step by step. Lord, if someone has fallen or is sitting down or whatever, Lord, help us lift them up and bring bring them along. We thank you for everything you're doing in these days, in these important days of building your church and advancing the kingdom of God. We pray this in the most powerful name. The most beautiful name, but the most powerful name. The name above all names. 
Jesus, we pray this in your name. In Jesus' name. We do not use that name in vain. We don't use that name with double-mindedness. We believe in the power of the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.